Today we're, we're in our fourth week of uh, looking through some of the Psalms together, and the Psalms are like these ancient songs and poems that we find in the Old Testament uh, in the Bible. And we've been looking through these, and what we find is, uh, we've been looking at a different type each week, is that these Psalms, they're not like commands or teaching, but they're actually uh, these very honest prayers that give us uh, some, some language um, for essentially the highs and lows that we, we face in life. And I know for me, one of the most memorable encounters I had with the Psalms was in my first year at uni. And I was at uni here in Nottingham, and we were a few months into university life, and we got to that point where you had to figure out who you were going to live with for the following year. And if you've been in that situation before, you'll know it's a little bit stressful. It's also a little bit weird. You barely know anyone, and you've got to try and figure out who you're going to live with for the whole following year together. And there was a group of guys that I got on pretty well with. They were probably my closest friends at the time. And we had talked about living together and assumed that was going to happen. And then I vividly remember one day they, they turned around and they basically said to me, oh, actually, uh, sorry, Ellie, we're not going to live with you. And actually, we've already sorted out somewhere to live without you. And um, I, yeah, I got real R in the first service this morning. You guys, you guys are less sympathetic. But um, I... And I, it felt, if I'm honest, like a real betrayal. Uh, like I'd only been a few months into uni, a few months away from home, and I felt so lonely in that moment. And I remember I went back to my room um, feeling quite sad, and, and, I, and I cried. And I, uh, I don't know why, the first thing I did is I reached for my Bible. And I, I'm not like a super holy guy, so I'm not sure why that happened, but um, I did it. And I did what no one would ever recommend you do, where, where I just basically flicked it open to a random page and just looked at what was in front of me. And uh, it turned out to be in the Psalms, and I read these next few verses, which said this. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. And as you can imagine, I was, I was pretty struck by what I read, and whether it was a coincidence or whether God led me to that particular passage, I don't know. But what I do know is in that moment, I was able to bring my hurt and my pain to God. And the Psalms gave me a bit of a language for that moment and a degree of comfort in it. And I guess that is like a small picture of what we find in the Psalms generally, an encouragement to kind of bring all that we are before God in honesty and vulnerability. And the Psalm we're looking at today is one that some of you might know. It's Psalm 27. It's one that is again written by King David, one of the kings of Israel at the time. And as the Psalms were generally all written as poems and as songs, for this, just for this little series, we've been wanting to try and listen to them a little bit differently. So um, Pauline is going to come up and read it to us, and Paul is going to come and play the keys in the background. And I'd encourage you, when you're listening to it, just to reflect on the words. You might want to read it, it's going to be on the screen, or you might want to close your eyes and just listen as the words are read to you. So um, as Pauline comes up, we're just going to do that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thanks, Pauline. Thank you very much. Now, um, maybe you've heard some of the bits of those psalms before, uh, but in this psalm, David is doing what the psalms often do. He's letting us know that life is not always easy. And there's a load of different things that he reels off that presumably were things going on in his life at the time. So it's going to come up on the screen. But verse two, the wicked advance against me, an army besiege me. Uh, He talks about war breaking out against him. Um, He mentions family and says, my mother and father forsake me. And then towards the end says, false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So it's fair to say there was obviously some stuff going on in David's life at the time. But when you read that psalm, I don't know about you, but that doesn't come across to me as like the main theme in the psalm. Like that's uh, not necessarily what he's focusing on. David seems to be like acknowledging that there are challenges that he's facing But somehow he is more kind of focusing on affirming his trust and his confidence in who God is. The the challenge is just like the context for his life, but really he's talking about how amazing God is. And so, again, it begins with uh, those lines you might know. It's just going to come up. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he goes on in different ways. He talks about God keeping him safe, God hiding him in the shelter of his sacred tent, um, you have been my helper. And then finishes with those, those amazing words, I remain confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so David, he's not kind of making out like life is, is perfect, he's, he's clearly not doing that. But he is saying that he has confidence, he has this utter confidence, not in himself, not in who he, he is, but in who God is. And despite being the king of a powerful nation at the time, probably being quite a gifted and charismatic guy, Uh, and being very loved by lots of the people that he led, he knows that actually he doesn't have what it takes to just get through every situation that he's in. In fact, he knows that the only way to get through the challenges that he faces is to rely not on himself, but on who God is. And I don't know about you, when I read that, I think, oh, I would love to have that level of confidence in God, in in the highs and lows that life brings, to just be able to be like, well, I know he is my fortress. He's the one I can trust in. And instead, 
sometimes like when I'm maybe even here on a Sunday, I instead feel the need to kind of like have it all together and to be someone that just whatever comes, I can kind of grip my teeth and I can get through it and be independent. But even though that might sound good and sound attractive, I know that the reality is, just like David, I don't have what it takes to just grip my teeth and get through every situation. I can't do that. Life can throw all kinds of things at, it, at us, can't it? And God invites us, just like David, to instead of trusting and relying on ourselves, actually to trust in him, to put all of our trust in him. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend a bit of time looking at, well, what does David actually do with that? Like, what is his response to knowing who God is? How does that affect the way that he lives? Because he obviously knows how incredible God is. He's, he's seen God do stuff in his life, but he also knows that there are some real and genuine struggles. And so what we see in this psalm, that David kind of comes to the, the conclusion that the only logical thing he can do is to seek God more wholeheartedly. That in the midst of all the chaos, he just needs to seek the Lord. He talks about this one thing that he wants from the Lord, one thing to define his life. So it says this in verse four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing that David asks for. And you know, uh, he could have asked for a few different things, couldn't he? Like it maybe would have been fair for him to say, oh, one thing I ask, Lord, would you just stop all these troubles? Or one thing I ask, would my family take me back? Or one thing I ask, uh, would my enemies stop attacking me or spreading rumors about me or whatever? But he doesn't actually do that. He doesn't actually ask God to change any of the circumstances in his life, but he just says, one thing I ask. One thing I seek, Lord, is just to be with you, to be in your presence. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at this one thing that David talks about. And um, ironically, I'm gonna talk about it in two parts. So the one thing that David focuses on, the first thing I wanna talk about is exactly that, his focus. I don't know about you, but I would say my life is rarely focused on like one thing. I think probably my thoughts and my priorities and all the different stuff going on in my life is probably split in like 10 different ways rather than one. I don't know if you would feel the same. But quick question for you, when are you at like your most focused? When are you at your most like single-minded? Is it when you're like in Tesco's and you're like, I've got to get in and out of here as quickly as I can? Um, is it like when you're in the garden, when you're at work, like where are you like super focused? For me, uh, bizarrely, it would be in a go-kart. And it sounds a bit random. Anyone else here like go-karting, been go-karting before? A few people. I've not actually been that many times, but I don't know why, for some reason, when I get behind the wheel of a go-kart, everything else in the world just kind of like fades into the background. And admittedly, I am a bit competitive. Some of you might know that, so you might not be surprised to hear that. But somehow, on that go-kart track, I enter into this like, level of focus that I've yet to find anywhere else in my life. Uh, it's maybe a little bit embarrassing, but all I can think about for the next 20 minutes is how I can take that corner a little bit faster next time, and am I going as fast as I can down that straight, and have I caught up with that person in front of me, and if I have, how am I going to overtake them? Is it going to be on this corner? Is it going to be on that corner? And am I pushing down the pedal as, far, as hard as I possibly can? Literally nothing else enters my mind other than those things. I think in my head, I look a little bit like this guy. I think the reality, unfortunately, is probably more like this next one. Um, <laughs> thank you, Trent kids, for, for that. Uh, so 
I'm not actually that necessarily that good at go-karting. I've not done it that many times. But in that moment, it is definitely like the one thing that I focus on. And go-karting obviously isn't what David was getting at. But his life was very much intentionally focused on this one thing that he talks about. He didn't always get it right, but so often we read about him coming back to this one thing. And I don't think it would take us long today to think about actually some of the people who have had the, the biggest impact in the world are people whose lives were really committed to one particular thing. So Martin Luther King, for example, he gave himself completely to fighting for racial uh, equality, often to his own expense. Or Nelson Mandela, he dedicated his life to trying to end apartheid in South Africa. He actually spent 27 years in prison for doing that. Or Mother Teresa, you may have heard of her as well. She spent 50 years of her life serving the poorest of the poor orphans in um, Calcutta in India. And she, her life was just all about that mission. And interestingly, for all of those three people, what lies behind that, they, they each had a faith in Jesus. Mother Teresa herself said this. She said, by blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, I'm an Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. And for Mother Teresa, though her life may have looked like this constant service of other people, actually her one thing was pursuing Jesus. Her heart was for Jesus, and that was actually where it all flowed from. And what is clear in this psalm as well that David writes is that uh, for us to make our pursuit of God's presence, our one thing, doesn't mean that we need to stop doing everything else. He's pretty clear. He had loads of different stuff going on, things pressing in to his life. And yet he actually comes back to the one thing that actually enables him to get through all of that stuff. It's almost like with all that different stuff going on, the only way he can get through it is for the one thing of God's presence. And actually for all of us, no matter what we have going on in our lives, it's like David's making the point that our primary task needs to be that of seeking God's presence. That's actually almost the key to getting through all of the difficult stuff. But I guess the question is, like, what does, what does that actually look like? It sounds great, but like, what does that actually look like? And David, he uses those three words, seek, dwell, and gaze, in that little bit. And I don't know about you, generally, dwelling and seeking, they're not, and um, gazing, they're not quick things, aren't they? You don't have like a quick gaze um, at the night sky or something, or you don't dwell quickly. They're things that actually take a degree of time. And so I guess in one way, for the cost to me and you is actually our time and our attention. And in the midst of probably what for many of us are quite busy lives, it's probably not just going to happen. We're not just going to wake up one morning and we're going to be there. It probably requires a few choices along the way. And in 1958, there was a, a young pastor in quite a rural part of America called David Wilkerson. Some of you might have heard of him. But at the time, apparently, a television was this like, new addition to the living room, and um, it had become understandably very popular. Everyone had just started watching TV, including this young pastor. And apparently, he would get home, and he got into the habit of watching TV. There was something called The Late Show, which was on um, at 12 o'clock till 2 a.m., and he would watch that. And then apparently, one of the times he was watching it, he was kind of struck by this half-thought, half-prayer, which said this, What would happen, Lord, if I sold the TV set and I spent that time praying instead. And to be fair to him, that's, that's exactly what he did. And his life quite quickly took a different turn because quite soon into that new kind of prayer rhythm that he had, he felt like God speaks to him about particularly young men 
who were caught up in gangs and addiction in New York. And so he, he up sticks, he moved to New York and began kind of work there. And over many years, he built this incredible ministry in the center of New York, not only starting what is now one of the biggest churches in New York called Times Square Church, but also he started something called Teen Challenge, which is a Christian drug and alcohol like rehabilitation charity, which has 1,500 centers all over the world. And actually, we, there's one in Nottingham, and those guys, they actually come to our evening service. They'll be here later on tonight. And when you think about it, it's pretty amazing to think, isn't it, that countless lives have been impacted all over the world because one guy made maybe this small decision to, to sell his TV and to spend time praying, to actually to make Jesus his, his one thing, his focus. And just to be clear, definitely know what I'm not saying today is uh, that we all need to sell our TVs. Um, I haven't sold mine, just to, for, to be clear. But I do think each of us, there's, there's probably a question for each of us, isn't there, is what would it look like for us to make the focus of our lives that one thing of Jesus, to make his presence and his agenda the number one thing in our life? Because I know if, if I'm really honest about my time and attention, there are probably loads of different things um, that could change and need to change. But one of them definitely would be with this, with my phone. And I guess not only do I probably waste a lot of time on it, um, literally yesterday I downloaded a Sudoku app, I don't even know why I did, but um, waste a lot of time on it. But also when I read my Bible, when I pray, how often am I genuinely alone? Or how often is it there distracting me? And I know that in some ways this is quite an easy target in talks, isn't it? Like we probably every so often mention phones and how often we use it. But the hard truth is it's because it's true, isn't it? Like I know at least for me this thing has too much of a hold in my life and maybe it does for some of you. Or maybe it might be other things that distract you, that pull you in different directions. Maybe it's social media, maybe there's loads of other things in your life. Some ways all good things, but I guess the question for us today is what about the one thing? What about the one thing of God's presence in our life? Because I think the truth is, at least in my own life, if I'm overly distracted or overly busy or even overly comfortable, it makes it quite hard to make Jesus my one thing. And that's probably true for many of us. So I, I guess the question today for each of us as individuals is what would it look like for us to focus just a little bit more on him? So we see this focus um, of David in the psalm, but the second thing that we see is his hunger. Now, I'm sure we've all known like physical hunger at some point in our lives. We've probably all been there. Uh, many of you will know a few weeks ago, Trent Youth were at DTI um, in Staffordshire Showground. Here we are. And that, to be clear, that's Trent Youth. That's not all of DTI. That is the, like, the mega Trent Youth um, family. There was about 200 of us, including team. And we had, to, we had seven amazing people, I've seen some of them are here, who gave up their week to come and cook for all those hungry teenagers. Um, and I know, can you imagine, um, I can see them over there, cooking on camping stoves um, uh, to, for 200 people. It's bonkers, isn't it? I'm glad it wasn't me. One night, we literally had meatballs on pasta with garlic bread, with some dessert. Um, they were amazing. Shout out to the cooking team. But yeah... <laughs> But for one of the meals, uh, the camping equipment, as you'd expect, was playing up a little bit. And so dinner had got delayed a few times. And for any of you who have met a hungry teenager before, you can imagine that for me, having to go to them several times, being like, oh, guys, really sorry, dinner's going to be another 15 minutes. It was like I told them they weren't going to be able to eat for a month. 
And uh, my, I think my popularity levels in Trent Youth hit a new low um, that day. But they weren't happy because they were hungry, because understandably they wanted some food. And in this psalm, like David is expressing a, he's not physical hunger, but a spiritual hunger. To know God more, to actually want more of his presence, to be closer to him. And David does this a lot in some of his other psalms. And in one of them, Psalm 63, he talks about it, but in terms of thirst. So he says this, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read uh, bits like that or the psalm we, we read earlier on, I can actually feel a little bit discouraged because part of me feels like I'm not sure that like, my level of desire for God is the same as like David's in this. And how am I ever meant to get to the same level as like, these guys talk about it? It almost sounds quite dramatic in comparison to how I feel. And to be honest, even as I was writing this talk, I was thinking, Flip, how am I going to get up in front of all of these people and talk about this hunger and this desire for God? But what has encouraged me, and hopefully might encourage you as well, is that for even, for even for David just to express this hunger, even for him just to say that he has a desire to seek God more, is actually a recognition from him that he isn't where he wants to be. Like he's not making out like he's got it all together and being like, oh, my relationship with God is just the best thing in the world. Like I'm completely where I want to be. He's actually saying, I'm not where I want to be with the Lord. I want more of his presence. I need to seek him more. And probably like most of us, David recognizes that there's probably more than we experience right now. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to what David says there. And so the Psalms, particularly this one we're reading today, they're not for people who have got it all together. Um, But actually, they're for people like me and like you, maybe, who would probably, if we were really honest, say, yeah, actually, there are times when God isn't my one thing. He's not the focus of my life. And that actually, maybe in some ways, we have quite a way to go. And we get to use these Psalms as a bit of a prayer for the direction that we want to head in rather than where we are right now. And if we were really real right now, like maybe we won't share it with each other, but in our heads... How many of us would say, oh yeah, I am exactly where I want to be in my relationship with God. I am, all I know is just the presence of Jesus and I'm exactly where I want to be. Maybe some of you might feel like that. My suspicion would be that lots of us don't. I know that I don't. And I'd say I I love Jesus, I know his love, but I also ache to know it more, to grow in my affection for him, to actually hunger for him more than I currently do. And I I don't want to look back in 10, 20, 30 years' time and be the same as I am right now. I I long to be able to look back and be like, yes, I made God my one thing. I made his presence the main thing in my life. But I know I'm not there right now. And so I guess like David, I'm hungry because I'm recognizing I'm not exactly where I want to be. And maybe some of you might feel the same. So I guess the question would be like, what about you? what, What kind of level is your hunger for Jesus? Or maybe even do you at least wish that you were hungrier than you are because that's okay if that's the case. There's a song uh, a few years ago by a band called Ren Collective uh, called Desert Soul which is always, the lyrics have always stuck with me. And it says this, it'll come up on the screens. It says, I love you, Lord, but I want to love you more. I need you, God, but I want to need you more. I'm desperate for a desperate heart. And those words, particularly those first ones, I love you, Lord, but I want to love you more, that is essentially what David is getting at in this psalm. 
language for those of us who maybe aren't exactly where we want to be. And so I would say today to all of us, not necessarily do you want to know God more, but kind of do you want to want to know God more? Do you wish that actually your desire for him was maybe more than it is? Because I think if you do, I think that's a pretty good place to start. And I think that's where we find David. That we don't actually need to wait until we're bursting with passion and desire because we probably won't find that we'll get there. But actually right here, right now, we can begin from a place of lack, of just wanting to change that's actually what it means to be hungry. And I guess when I think about what that hunger actually looks like, um, because I think it often does look like something, I think of people like my brother. Um, he's got a busy life. He's got two young kids, loads of different things pulling on his time. And so for him, he gets up at 5.45 every day because he knows that's the only time he could get any time with Jesus because otherwise um, he wouldn't get any time. And that's actually the thing that fuels him for the rest of the day. Or I think of a friend of mine who he leaves his headphones next to his bed so that first thing in the morning, uh, rather than scrolling through his phone, he just sticks on some worship music while he's still kind of waking up or Lectio 365 and he begins his day that way. Or I was really struck by one of our youth leaders at DTI who, despite being sleep deprived and exhausted and had every reason to want to sleep in a little bit more, still got up, spent time reading their Bible and praying and actually invited some of their young people to come and join them and like stir the hunger of their young people a little bit. Or I also think of some of just the men and women who come to early morning prayer week in, week out, not because they just love early mornings and can't get enough of 7 a.m., but because they're hungry. They actually want to see God move. And I guess all of us have different lives, different personalities. This is going to look different for every single one of us. But we are each extended that same invitation to know God more deeply. One of my favorite books is by a guy called A.W. Tozer. It's called The Pursuit of God. It's, it's not an easy read, um, but he talks a lot about this. And in one of his chapters, he's actually speaking about God. And he says this. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. And every time I read that, I'm like freshly challenged by it. being like, oh, yeah, Lord, I want to want you more. And the Bible is clear that before any of our successes or our achievements or the hours that we serve on a team here or even the songs that we sing, what God is actually after is our hearts. That he's after a people who maybe don't always get it right or aren't always exactly where they want to be. But in their hearts, they're like, yeah, I want to know God more. I do want to. And so I guess today with this psalm, I feel like we've got a fresh opportunity, like we do every day, to, to bring ourselves before God wherever we might be at. And maybe say, like, God, I, I love you, but I actually want to love you more. I want my heart to be more stirred than it is. I'm not necessarily want where I want to be, but I do want to make you my one thing. And would you help me to do that? That's the beautiful thing, that we don't actually need to summon this up ourselves. We get to come to God, be honest with him, and he will help us with it. So if you're up for it, why don't we stand together? And we're going to enter into ministry by doing what we did at the beginning. Uh, Pauline and Paul are going to come back up and we're going to listen to the psalm once more. And you might want to close your eyes. You might, uh, if you want to, feel free to read it again. But I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit as we listen to this. Holy Spirit, would you come and stir our affections for you? We thank you that you love us, that you are kind. And we come to you right now. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.